Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. This morning was beautiful, and um, I almost felt like I wanted to just chuck my teaching and just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us because there was something very intimate that was being sung and uh, the presence of God's intimacy was beautiful. But I am going to completely change the atmosphere in one sense today. Obviously, it's still Christ-centered, but it is just a different focus today. And I'm going to continue in your Luke series, um, Tables and Sinners, and I'm going to preach today out of Luke 17. And the title of my teaching this morning is The Coming of the Kingdom. The coming of the kingdom. And I would actually like to read the whole text, verses 20 through 37. Um, If you would follow along with me, and it's going to be out of the ESV version. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there or look here, but do not go out or follow them. For the lightning, as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is in the housetop, on the housetop with his goods, in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Father, in Jesus' name, I just ask that you would help us to take this very difficult text in many ways, and yet hear very simply the heart of the Spirit of God today for the church. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this community of believers. Pray that they would be established in faith, strengthened in grace today, and prepared for your inevitable return. In Jesus' name, amen.
I was really pleased that uh, it ended up that this was a text that Nick asked me to preach on. I'm not sure if it was accidental or purposeful on his part and how it turned out. Uh, Because for the first 25 years of my ministry, um, I, I focused probably primarily on the truth of the kingdom of God. The central truth of our ministry focus was the kingdom of God. We were saved um, in, in the end of the Jesus movement, Kath and I, and ended up planting two churches, both of which were vineyards and part of the vineyard movement in the very beginning of its inception. And if you know anything about the vineyard, it was pretty much the kingdom of God was the, the primary focus and everything flowed from that uh, theology, you could say the emphasis on healing and signs and wonders and all of the things that Vineyard has been known for through the many years. And even worship itself often flowed from a theology of the kingdom. So for the first 25 years, that was what I primarily prayed, thought, taught, studied about was the kingdom of God. And then about 15 years ago, which shows you how long I've been in ministry, if you add those up, I became gospel aware The gospel became alive to me in a way that it never had. And I began to pour my heart and study into understanding and unpacking the truth of the gospel. And then now for the last few years, what I have done is I've actually been contemplating and praying and studying and thinking about the merging of the two truths, the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the cross. And I've come to the conclusion that they are the same gospel. They are not two different gospels just a different emphasis. Jesus came preaching the kingdom before the cross. And then Paul came and other men and other apostles came and they preached the way into the kingdom through the cross. But they both preached and taught the life of the kingdom ultimately. Even Paul's theology in the New Testament, Peter's theology, Johannian theology, is really a theology of life in the kingdom, which Jesus taught obviously so clearly when he was on the earth. We have to begin, and I don't want to spend too much time in this because I'm probably going to today touch on things, probably four or five things that could be series in and of themselves. So I don't have time to develop any of them, but I want to touch on them. The first thing I want to do, though, is simply ask the question, what is the kingdom of God exactly? Because I think that's important to begin. There was a man in the very early beginning of my trek that wrote a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom, George Eldon Ladd. How many of you have read that book by any chance? Any of you? A few of you? Very few of you. Wow, okay. That book was very instrumental in helping us in the vineyard and me particularly form my theology regarding the kingdom of God. And he defined the kingdom this way very simply. He said the kingdom of God is is his kingship, his rule, and his authority. And then I expanded that as I began to teach, traveling and teaching, and then in my own church, and I I defined the kingdom of God this way, that the kingdom of God is the Father's reign, inaugurated by his Son's obedience, administrated through the power of the Spirit, and furthered by the church's obedience. There's a lot in all of that, and the kingdom is even more than any of those words But I think that gives us a basic understanding that simply the kingdom of God is the rule of God. It is the rule of God in the human heart to begin. And then it is the rule of God on the earth through human hearts. 
It is the reign of God and the authority of God on the earth through those who will live obediently to the will of God. So in this text today, obviously, the kingdom of God is central. And there are two things that are going to happen in this that I'm going to touch on, one of them more briefly than the other. But there are the two things that are key to see today is that in this there are two simultaneously important truths regarding God's kingdom. And the first is this, that it is present today. And secondly, it is yet to come in its fullness. And so, in order to simplify these two tr truths, Ladd coined this term, that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. Interesting. Or the kingdom of God is now. We've talked about, we talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. The now and the not yet of the kingdom, which is simply saying what is, Jesus is speaking of in this text in Luke 17 is that the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is not yet here in its fullness. So in verses 20 and 21, it begins with Jesus being questioned. And this is talking about the now of the kingdom. This is, the, this is touching on the truth of the now of the kingdom, the present aspect of the kingdom of God. And in verse 20, the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom would come. Now we can maybe assume that they were trying to trip him up like they often did trying to somehow get him to say something that would trip him up, because they knew that there were claims that he was the Messiah, obviously, especially by now. But really, this was a very reasonable question for a Jew of that day to ask. And they were probably asking a question that many people were asking and thinking. So they may not have been trying to trip him up as much as they were wanting to understand maybe what, in fact, he was saying and what he was doing. Because they believed that when the kingdom would come, the oppression of Rome would be thrown off of them, and there would be an outward display of the glory of God on the earth through the Messiah, and that his coming would usher in a great age of peace and prosperity, primarily for the nation of Israel. So they were looking for the oppression of Rome to cease, and for this great kingdom to be ushered in through the Messiah. So their question really isn't too far-fetched because even the great John the Baptist was confused. He actually sent his disciples to them. Matthew 11 records this. And the disciples came and they said to him, John was in prison now, and they came to Jesus and they said, are you the one or not? John has sent us to ask you. And here's, here's the man who at one point had said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandal. Behold the Lamb of God. Now he's in prison, and what is he doing? He's just like you and I. He's questioning. Are you, in fact, the one? And why did they question? Why was John questioning? Because Jesus wasn't doing Messiah type of stuff. They were expecting the kingdom of God to look differently. And it wasn't looking the way they thought it should. And so, in answer to John the Baptist, Jesus sent the disciples back and said, tell them I'm healing the sick, that the lame are walking, that the blind are seeing. That was his answer. And I'm sure John still scratched his head. And to the Pharisees, Jesus said in answer to their question, it's not coming in ways that can be observed. You are not understanding rightly. 
So you cannot say, there it is or here it is. You're not going to be able to do that because it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. And then he said, though you cannot see it, this is an amazing statement, it is in your midst. How was it in their midst? We know very simply because Jesus was in their midst. Because the rule and the reign of God had come to earth in one man, the person Jesus Christ. In other words, if you had eyes to see it, if you had a heart to see it, you would understand. But it isn't what you thought it would be. This is an amazing, amazing reality, amazing truth that I think to start today has to grip our hearts. Is that the eternal age to come has invaded what the Bible calls this present evil age in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the language of the New Testament. And this is what Pentecost was. It, was. it was the endowment of the power of God from an age to come, from a future age that is an eternal glorious age, coming to earth in the person of Christ first and then upon a people gathered in a room after his ascension. Those that would believe on him. The power of an age to come. This is Pauline language now had come to earth in a man, Jesus Christ. And it's as though he threw down the gauntlet when he came and said, I am here. And Satan fully knew what he meant, and the conflict began, which would culminate with the cross, and then the resurrection, and then finally the ascension. Amazing story of redemption. There are two key texts that speak to the truth of these two ages in conflict. The first is Galatians 1.3. You guys know these texts, but let's look at them in this light of this kingdom having come. Paul writes in Galatians 1.3, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, listen, who gave himself for our sins, listen to the language, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The word deliver there means to pluck out, to root out, to choose out or to deliver or to rescue. Very much like it is Colossians 1.13 where Paul wrote, He has delivered us, there's the word again, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, Paul says now. Before he called it the present evil age, now he refers to it as the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we see from these two verses that God the Father sent his son on a rescue mission. Which meant that he would step into our fallen world and pay the price for our sin. If you're here today and you are not a believer in Christ yet, we're glad you're here. But you need to understand and know that Jesus came for you. He came for you to rescue you, just as he's rescued we who believe. Rescue, to deliver, to choose out, to root out. All those words meaning the same in that, from that one Greek word in our English language. In that sacrifice of himself, God the Father, we know, sent his Son to deliver us, to rescue us from this age, this present evil age. 
And at the very moment that we believed, we entered God's kingdom. Now, it's important for us, first of all, also to know that the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing. Don't let there be any confusion in your mind. Some translations say kingdom of heaven. Some of the gospels use the word kingdom of heaven. Others more the kingdom of God. They're the same thing. But it's important also to realize that Jesus came for us. And when he came for us and we believed on his work of redemption, we then entered the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't enter us. We enter the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. They're different. The church is a part of the work of the kingdom and the means of God's furthering the kingdom on the earth. We're still talking about the present nature of the kingdom. We're not yet talking about the future. I'll get to that in a moment. Jesus' first teaching was to the Pharisees. It wasn't a teaching. It was an answer about the present nature of the kingdom. And I want to just add to it, and this is something that I've been thinking and praying about a lot as well, is that really what it is? It is the life of new creation. New creation life. In fact, I think it could, you could safely say theologically that there is now a new humanity on the earth. I thought about this long and hard. I've studied and thought about these truths. And I really do believe that God intended for there to be a new beginning with man through Christ. In fact, you could say a new humanity would be born. Paul says he's the first of many, firstborn of many from the dead. Jesus said himself in Revelation chapter 3, I am the beginning of the creation of God. What did he mean by that? Well, there was a first creation, and now has been, there's been a regenesis, a second creation. Are you with me? There is a new humanity on the earth. Noah could not bring that about. Noah got off of the ark with his family, and the first thing he did was he sinned because he was yet fallen. So even though the ark, in fact, took place and, and that family was spared and saved, that could not be a new beginning for man because there was still sin in the heart of man. Only Jesus could begin a new humanity. And we're not perfect, I'm not saying that, but there's a new creation on the earth and it is you and I, a new humanity in the midst of a fallen world. What a radical, powerful truth that when people encounter us, they encounter a new humanity that is in the heart of God to bring forth the purposes and the glory and the image of God on the earth. It's wonderful. So the practical application of this truth is simple. We are now his instruments on earth, whatever that means to you and however he chooses to use you and I. The present reality of the kingdom, the already of the kingdom is to be made known through the church. And we do that through the preaching of the gospel, through the sharing of the gospel. We do that through manifesting the life of the age to come through our lives and through the church corporate. We do that through praying for the sick. We do that through loving the unlovely. We do that by preaching the gospel to the poor, just as Jesus did. But we are his instruments today. The kingdom is here today. Say that with me. The kingdom is here today. The rule and the reign of God is in our midst. What an amazing truth. 
And it's the future age. It's the age to come, but not yet in its perfection or glory. So we must turn to that now, to the future kingdom. And the rest of this chapter really deals with that. He begins to deal with the not yet or the consummation of all things when the kingdom of God is established at the return of Christ. And this not yet truth will only be fully realized at his return in his second coming. The end of this age will usher in the fullness of the age to come in all of its glory. And this is the subject of verses 22 through 37 in this text. And there are three things in this that I want to point out quickly this morning is there is an encouragement, there is a warning, and there is an admonition. First of all, Jesus encourages his disciples to persevere in their faith. He says in verse 20, 22, the, day is, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now, how is that talking about perseverance? What is he talking about there? I want to draw your, your attention to Daniel chapter 7 for a moment. Daniel 7. If, if, you know, we all have heroes in the Bible. Daniel is my hero by far. I, Daniel, to me, is, was an amazing, amazing guy. I can hardly wait someday to meet him. Think about it. A young teenage guy, boy, taken from his home, from his family, from his parents, taken to, into a, another country, probably made a eunuch, probably made a eunuch at a young age to serve a crazy king in his court, and then lived his life faithfully for over 70 years in that land, in obedience and honor, first to God, but also to the king, who was not a godly man at that point in the beginning, for sure, and died in Babylon. He did not leave when they were sent home. He stayed. He was an amazing, amazing dude. But one night he had a dream. He had a vision. Dan chapter 7. And this is what he saw. Listen to this carefully. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one, listen to the language, like a son of man. There it is. Jesus now uses the term son of man in answering the disciples, turning to the disciples to talk about the future coming of the kingdom. And when they heard the term son of man, they immediately knew that it was in accordance with Daniel. They went to Daniel, I'm sure, in their minds. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, listen, and a glory, and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be be destroyed. And then he concludes his vision with these words a little later in chapter 7. And he says this. This is the same vision. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So he's saying to them, listen, listen. When this kingdom comes, do not lose heart right now. Do not grow weary right now. It will come, and that eternal kingdom will surely take place. That great kingdom 
shall be given to you to enter for all time, for eternity. Don't lose heart in the midst of this world, he's saying. He's encouraging them. It's coming. Even though it's not here in its fullness, it's coming. Even though you've gone through two years of difficulty with COVID, even though the world is crazy, even though economics are uncertain, even though the future is certain, even though the church at times can appear to be not what it should be, this kingdom is certainly coming. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Do not grow weary. That's what he is saying to them. One of my favorite texts in the New Testament is Titus 2, 11 through 14. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, wonderful, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Listen to this now. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This verse says it all. The grace of God has come, and it's teaching us to say no to our worldly desires, our carnal fleshly desires. It's teaching us to live self-controlled, godly lives while we wait for the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Greek word for endure, Nick would tell you, means to remain under. It means to stay under. Stay under the trials. Stay under the tribulation with joy. Endure. Persevere. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going, saints. Don't lose heart. But then he gives them an encouragement that follows in verse 23. It's an interesting encouragement. They will say to you, look here or look there, but do not go or follow out. In other words, he's saying to them, don't leave the, the narrow path. And now he's going to talk to them about, about not being deceived. The danger of deception. He's going to warn them now. So not only does he give them a, an encouragement in the beginning, now he turns to the warning. This is a difficult um, warning in some ways to, to un unpack because we know that Jesus in other places warned about false prophets and false teachers, but this is a more subtle warning. He says to them, he says, when they say to you there, look there or look here, do not go out or follow them in verse 23. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things. In other words, there's going to be a, a, tent, a temptation and an ability for you to be deceived while you are waiting because people are going to claiming to be what I am, who I am, but they will not be obviously, the true Messiah. As I was thinking about this this week and praying about it, um, it, it took me back to something that I spent a great amount of time studying and, and not too long ago, was the, the subtleties that are creeping into Western culture that are beginning to confuse the truth of Jesus Christ very um, subtly and very slowly. There is a new spirituality 
that has come to the Western world. And one of the things that I'll tell you how it happened. I was watching, I don't know if I was watching uh, an award show or something. And I noticed that everybody was going namaste, 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 and bowing to one another. And I, I, at first I went, what, what is this namaste? What does this mean? You know, what is this? I knew it was something Eastern. And I looked it up and I realized that it's a, it's a greeting, a Hindu greeting, which means that the God in me acknowledges the God in you. So when people were doing that, they were saying, there's a God in me that sees and recognizes and honors the God in you. And I began to study this and look at it, and I saw that what was happening was that this Eastern religion was beginning to infiltrate, mixing with science, which was really interesting, which I can't get into right now, but it was creating a whole new, they called it actually the new spirituality. And a guy wrote a book, he's not a Christian, he's a, he's a, uh, a Jewish man who wrote a uh, and it's called American Veda, V-E-D-A. You can look it up on your own. But I want to just read a couple of short things, and I want to tie it into what I'm saying really quickly. This is how it was reviewed. This book was reviewed this way. American Veda is an illuminating, gracefully written, and remarkably thorough account of India's spectacular impact on Western culture and spirituality. And the New York Times reviewed it this way. In a delightful, compelling way, American Veda shows how India's ancient wisdom has permeated our lives, including many of the self-improvement teachings that have benefited millions. I loved reading this book, and self-improvement is being preached in many churches today. Am I saying that they've embraced this fully? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying is that it's crept in slowly in ways that are hard to see. Let me just read really shortly one thing that he wrote in the book himself. Goldberg says this. He says, this non-dual religion, what does he mean by that? He means that there's not a God out there and then me. He's meaning that God is in all of us. It's not a non-dual religion. It is likely to ascend in America because studies show that human beings move upward toward a continuum of spiritual expansiveness. Society will surely become a non-dogmatic spirituality over against the deadly forces of tribalism, tribalism, ethnocentrism, and fundamentalism, outward, outworn dogmas of the past and people who believe mine is the true religion. Now, I have to say, and I hope I'm not offending any of you, that that's becoming common even in the church today. This move away from, we can't just say it as it is, because it's too offensive. Yes, the truth is offensive. And if we say it wrongly, that's not right. We have to always remain winsome and compassionate and loving and kind. But the truth is the truth. Peter Jones, who's a Christian apologist who I greatly respect, said this regarding that book. He said, the future pantheists speak of a journey toward oneness, carried along by a global spirit or a modern form of animism. And they believe that nothing will stop, now listen to this, stop them from building a new humanity based on oneness, which will include the gender blur of the rising generation, which refuses to be confined to biblical moral distinctions. This is only one of many potentials of subtle deceit 
that can come into our lives. We're not worried about some guy saying, I'm the Messiah, you know, out in Palm Springs, and then people in the church running to him. I mean, that's not a danger. We're, we know that would be easy to see. No, the subtlety is the danger. The thing that is the danger is that which is, sounds good and sounds like truth and has half-truth in it. And it's cloaked in spirituality. And it's, and it's fitting into the norm of, of today's uh, a moral uh, uh, direction or decline in, in many cases. And it fits with it. And it's being embraced increasingly. And it's hard for pastors to stand in pulpits and say, saints, this is the truth. Because many do not want to hear it or they're offended by it. And by no means am I wanting to offend you. But I'm here to speak the truth as I can in Christ and what I believe is the truth. These voices will increase as the day of the Lord draws near. And as believers, we have to encourage and help one another to stay on the narrow path of life. This blurring and this syncretism of all these religions becoming one will become more and more common. And they can create a complacency and for certain, a lack of clarity in the hearts of the people of God prior to his return. Americans are pragmatic at heart. We are. And if something doesn't happen or it doesn't work in our timetable, we ditch it. And we tend to believe that it isn't true. Christianity cannot be that way. We cannot approach our faith that way. Just because the, the stream seems to be flowing in the other direction, we have to remain on the narrow path. And I'm kind of getting into what I'm going to teach in two weeks, so I'm going to stop there. And I have to kind of wrap this up quickly, so I want to do that. The last few verses are not few. They're the bulk of the chapter, 24 through 37, are an admonishment. So we've had an encouragement, we've had a warning, and now we've had an admonishment. The word admonish is an interesting word. I've always thought it was negative. It's not. It's a positive word. It speaks of, of um, urging someone earnestly is what admonishment means. So Jesus urges his disciples earnestly, and what he is urging them for is to be prepared. So he's had an encouragement not to lose heart. He's a had a warning of not being deceived, and now he urges them earnestly to be prepared. And he gives two men as examples, Noah and Lot. And there was commonality between these two. There was great wickedness in both of their days. There was impending judgment in both of their days. And he says very interestingly that people were just going about their business. Eating, drinking, giving in marriage, getting marriage, planting, building, living life. None of those things are bad. All of those things are good. But what is interesting is that he says judgment was right around the corner. And they were just living life as though there was nothing impending. What is he trying to tell them? It's going to be the same, he said, in the last days. There's so much out there that's been written about the days in which we live. There's a lot of books on Bible prophecy, eschatology, there's signs of the times, those kinds of things. And, you know, you've got to be really careful when you read those because they can lull you into thinking that you can identify exactly what it might look like. What's happening in Israel, is that the sign? What's happening in this sense, is that the sign? Not according to Jesus. He's saying, you're not going to know. You are not going to know when it happens. 
in one sense. It could look very much like today. By the way, go Rams. <laughs> Even though I do like Joe Burrow a lot. If you know who he is, those of you that know football. It could be just like today. Who is thinking about anything except this afternoon? And a lot of you are going, I wish you'd get done so I could get to it. The lesson is clear. Just as in the days of Noah and Lot, people today think little, if at all, about the potential of a certain, listen, a certain coming judgment. People don't even believe it. Even people in the church don't believe it. And just as in the days of Noah and Lot, Jesus says there's going to be a separating at that coming of Christ, at his second return. There will be a separation. Men and women will be working side by side. People will be, a couple will be asleep in bed next to each other. People will be riding together in their cars, riding together wherever they are, and they will be separated when Christ returns, when the judgment begins. One will be taken and one will be left. One will be taken, and you can define, you can interpret this. It's been very highly debated as to what he's talking about. I believe he's talking about the separation at the end when judgment takes place. This is a sobering reality, brothers and sisters. It's not bad news. It's good news for we who believe. Amen? Because that kingdom is certainly coming. It's a glorious kingdom. It's a wonderful kingdom. It is what our hearts long for. I pray that your heart longs for it. And I think that's what the lesson with Lot's wife was that he refers to here, is that she so loved the world that she was in that she could not leave it. That when the time came to give it up, she could not give it up. She looked back at it with a longing, just as the people of Israel looked back at Egypt with a longing in that day. Brothers and sisters, don't let your hearts be so given to this world that you're not prepared for his return, that you're not making decisions with, for your life right now that are giving yourself opportunity to live wholeheartedly for Jesus in the days that you're living. Don't be so entrenched in this world's ways that you're not ready. I'm not talking about losing salvation. I'm not, that's not even the point. It's simply that you've got to live wholeheartedly now, right? We have to make a difference today. The kingdom is here, but it's not yet. It's here in its power and glory, but it's coming in its fullness. And we can hardly wait. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Stand with me, would you please? Yeah, the musicians can come back up. Just wait for them. Come on up. I want to just stand for a moment in, in silence, though, if we can before they begin to minister to us. Just become aware of the Lord in our midst. Father, bring today again an awareness of who you are, who we are before you, especially regarding this glorious kingdom. Lord, we pray that we would understand what has already happened in your coming, the conflict of the ages, how you willingly came to earth and gave yourself for us. We pray that that kingdom would come in power in our day.
to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would learn, Lord, to move in the power and the life of that kingdom, that we would, in fact, live as a new humanity, Lord, in this day, that when people encounter us and encounter our families and watch us, how we live and the way we relate and love one another, they would say, certainly something is different. I've never seen anything like this before. What is this? It's a new humanity. It's a new beginning with man through Christ. And Lord, we do long for the future coming of your kingdom. Free our hearts from the things of this world. Let's just, just be still for just a moment, just a moment. And allow the Lord to minister or speak to you. Open your heart to God afresh. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord, you are with us. We're so grateful. Free us, cleanse us. Save us, O oh God. I pray that this church would be an instrument in your hands, powerfully, the things we've spoken of today. I pray that you would change minds, that you would change impressions and thoughts and decisions that have already been set in concrete, and they think that you'd set people on the right course if needed. In Jesus' name, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for bringing the teaching of the kingdom. Just as we respond in worship, I, uh, I think there's three questions that I would like you to answer. Rick, in that text, was talking about the kingdom of God. And the one question is, am I, am I losing heart? in the sense that this is a present reality and in the future reality of it. Am I losing heart? Second question that I would like us to ask as we respond, and Rick mentioned it, is, am I embarrassed of my brothers and sisters? Now, we know that there are things that have happened within the context of the church that we should be embarrassed about. But the church is the vehicle of the kingdom of God. And is there a way in which we can speak the truth about who Jesus is and be able to say this is not the way that it should be, but the church is the vehicle of the kingdom of God? Am I losing heart? Am I embarrassed by my brothers and sisters? And then let's ask the question, in what way personally Am I hoping the kingdom of God and the rule of Jesus can break through? What in my life is not under the rule and reign of Jesus? That I can ask the Spirit to say now as we respond in worship, after, after listening to the profundity of the kingdom of God, already not yet, Jesus, by your Spirit, help me to live in the fullness of that kingdom. Can we do that as we worship? We're going to participate in the already not yet. One of the joys we have is to do something that is not very pragmatic at all. And that is to take a cup and a piece of bread and to declare the kingdom that has already come in the death and resurrection of Jesus 
to be grateful for that kingdom that has come and then to drink it with a sense of longing, acknowledging that this world is not as it should be. So why don't we go to the table at the back. There's a table. There's a table on the side. There's wine and bread at the front. Why don't you go there and grab the elements and we'll take communion together. We are a church that believes in the foundational truths of the Word of God. And because of that, we believe that God speaks to His people through the church. Jeannie and Alex have an encouragement to pray for someone. So I'm going to ask them to come and briefly share that. Um, and for the rest of us, I, I do want to encourage you, if you have more questions, if you want to know a little bit more about what Rick said, uh, we're going to be hanging out a little bit afterwards to do that. But just listen uh, to what Ali and um, Jeannie have to say and maybe receive prayer from them. Good morning. Um, during the first portion of worship, I felt like the Lord um, highlighted the story in the Gospels where Jesus calls Peter out of the boat um, during the storm. And then Nick came up and shared um, that God knows our names and he's saying, my son, my daughter. Um, but I think for some of us in here, for someone in here, God's saying, my son or my daughter, come, um, come to me. We see the kingdom of God um, in our midst when our chains are broken. Um, and I feel like there's somebody who is holding on to bitterness um, and bitterness is holding on to them. And God is calling out to you saying, my son, my daughter, come surrender that to me because I wanna bring you freedom. Um, and I want you to see the resurrection power of the kingdom in your life as you are free from this bitterness. So I'm going to stand off to the side, and I would love to pray for you. So as we all know, today is Super Bowl Sunday, and there's lots of people that have parties happening, and when you have a party, you have to prepare. And we're having people over today, and yesterday I spent all day preparing, cleaning, doing food stuff, like, and I'm not even good at that. And I was like, you know, just working hard, because it's like, hey, this is coming. And... And when we're thinking about what's coming, we're thinking to the future, we have to prepare. And it would be wasteful for me to think, oh, this is coming, and then I just don't do anything, you know, yesterday. Um, and the same thing is with the kingdom of God. It's coming. It's here right now, but it's coming. And are we prepared? Are we preparing? And the line that stood out to me in worship was, we are your people, you are God, we are your temple. That is the current kingdom. We can rest in that and have safety in that. But the next, one of the next lines says, for every moment matters in eternity. That is also a reality. And we also need to be in preparation for that. So I love how Rick mentioned that we have an admonishment of like this urge to, to your, our duty. It is our duty to prepare. And our world, the subtlety, the lie is like, this is right now. This is the most important thing, this present moment. And we can honor that this is present, this is important, but we have to be looking to the future. So my, my, what I felt was this admonishment of, of, are we looking to the future of the coming eternity? Is our mind on that? Like, I was just looking to the next day of like, I have a Super Bowl party. Like, I was thinking about that constantly, but like, God's eternity, the reality of that, I can say it's not on my mind as much as it should be. And that impacts how I'm preparing. And so I just want you to think 
not in a, shame, a way of shame, but in an honest way of like, Lord, am I thinking about eternity? Do I realize that every moment matters? It matters, because that's a reality. And if you're realizing that, man, man, I, that isn't that isn't where my heart is. I want to encourage you in that. I'm walking in that too, and I'm I'm convicted in that way. And I have hope that the Lord wants to shift our mindsets to start preparing, and that will shift our current daily actions as well. So if you want prayer for that, if you want to pray with me in that, like I would love to pray. If there's a group of people that are like we just want that, um, I'll be on the side, and I'd love to pray with people. Thank you. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we are so grateful that we get to be kingdom bearers. We're so grateful that you chose us uh, through no skill or talent of our own. We are so grateful that we are your temple filled with your spirit, that it is through our frail obedience and faith that the world will see the power of the king. We long for your coming, Lord Jesus. Can we be full of joy? Can we be those that prepare? Can we be those that declare the coming of the kingdom of Jesus? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.